Well, hey, glad to see you guys here this morning. Uh, today, I'm super excited because today we're going to start a new series um, of the life of a king named David. All right, and David, King David, who I think probably everybody in this room, have, we've at least heard of this guy. Um, he's one of the most documented figures in ancient history. Uh, he's, the Bible has 66 chapters in the Old Testament dedicated to this man. In fact, all the other kings that would come after David and rule Israel after David, they would all be compared to David. And the best ones would be called those who walked in the ways of David. In fact, David was given a nickname by God himself as somebody who is, uh, who would, as somebody who is a man after God's own heart. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to watch him walk by faith, all right? We're going to see how God gives David victory after victory after victory. But then we're also going to watch how this man named David fails tragically as a king, as a husband, as a dad, as a God follower. And we're going to watch him as he picks up the pieces, and we're going to see how God uses this man Nonetheless, and so today uh, we get to be, in, we're going to be introduced to the king, and it's actually not until the end that we even get his name, and he doesn't actually even do really anything uh, today, uh, but we're going to begin this, we're going to start off, and uh, the story really, it starts off kind of sad. In fact, God, he never really wanted, wanted Israel to have a king to begin with. In fact, about 400 years before David was even born, um, a lot of you guys know the story. Like uh, the Jewish people, they are enslaved in Egypt, and uh, they had been there for 400 more years. And so uh, they had been there for 400 years, and so they cry out to God, and God raises up this man from among them named Moses, and he uses Moses to lead them out of Egypt and to take them to this land that God has promised them. And actually, ironically, this land that God has promised them is the same land that Israel, the nation of Israel, um, is. Is, is part of here today, um, you know, thousands of years later. And so what God does is he brings them into this land that he's promised them, and God establishes Israel as a theocracy, meaning that he gave the nation a list of laws, kind of like how we would describe our constitution here in our country that we're supposed to follow. Um, and then he appointed good judges to administer those laws and, to, and to uphold justice around the kingdom. And then God was to be their king. All right, that was their form of government, and it was completely different than any other nation around them. In fact, all the other nations around them, they all had kings, and they all had people who were in charge, one man who would be in charge and who ruled with authority. I mean, think about it. The people, they had just come out of Egypt where they had been for hundreds of years, and Egypt had a pharaoh, a guy who ruled them. But God had a much better system for Israel, and they, all they had to do was to follow God. But as you can imagine, and a lot of you guys know the story, they didn't. And uh, they rebelled against God, and things were not good. In fact, for the first 300 years, after God had brought them out of the nation of, of Egypt and brought them into this land, the Jewish people, instead of following uh, God's law, instead of doing life God's way, uh, the Bible describes them as everybody did what was right in their own eyes. All right, so everybody, um, they all, whatever they thought was the right thing to do, that's what they did. And the problem is that they all differed on what was the right thing to do, okay? So they're saying, hey, if that's your truth, all right, that's good for you. You go for that. This is my truth, all right? Don't, does this all sound familiar? All right, this is exactly how our culture is today. The, the Jewish people, they were the exact same way. And so eventually, the Jewish people, they asked God uh, for a king. 
because their way isn't working all that well. And at this time that they ask God for a king, they have a really, really, really good judge, maybe the best judge that they've ever had, and this guy named Samuel. But he is at the end of his life. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, when Samuel grew old, all right, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. So here's Samuel. All right, he's, he's been a judge in Israel. He's a prophet of God. God spoke to him. He helped lead Israel and the, the, the Jewish nation, although things weren't going well because everybody's just doing whatever they think is the best thing for them to do. And so Samuel, at the end of his life, all right, he's like maybe some of how you guys are in the fact that he's like, all right, time for me to retire. All right, I want to ride off into the sunset. This is going to be good. I got, you know, I got uh, chunky years left. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want them easy. I want them to be nice. You know, I want to enjoy life is kind of what Samuel's thinking. And so he he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. However, we find out a couple of verses later, his sons did not walk in his ways. And they turned towards dishonest prophet. And they took bribes and they perverted justice. So his sons, they, uh, they were not good like Samuel was. And actually, I was, I was reading that this week. I'm like, I wonder where Samuel was for that. Like, like Samuel, dude. You appointed these guys. They're not good. They're your own kids. Like, what's going on here? And I don't really even know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But uh, everybody around, and I'm assuming Samuel as well, they all know, like, okay, these guys aren't going to cut it. Like, everybody, whenever somebody brings a case before these guys, the person with the most money who pays them off seems to win. And so all the elders of Israel, they gathered together, and they went to Samuel at Ramah, where Samuel lived. And they said to him, they said, look, they tell him straight up. They say, you are old. Okay? Hey, man, you're old. All right? And your sons, we got a problem because your sons, they do not walk in your ways. They say, therefore, what we want from you and what we request from you, old Samuel, is we want you to appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. And so they're looking around and they're like, hey, Samuel, I mean, you're not getting any younger. Okay? Things are going so well with your kids. Um, everyone else around, if you've noticed, Samuel, all the other nations that are all around us, they all have a king, and so we want a king. All the cool kids have a king, so we want one too. It's kind of the situation that's going on. And when Samuel hears this, uh, the Bible tells us that Samuel considered their demand wrong. I mean, Samuel hears this, and again, he's got a, a close relationship with God. I mean, in fact, he talks to God sometimes, which is sweet, all right? And God talks to him back. I mean, it's a pretty cool thing. We're going to see some of that here today. And so Samuel, he hears this request, and he's like, okay, well, I know one thing. Uh, this is not what God wants. All right, Samuel's going back. He's like, hey, um, the one thing I do know is that God set us up where he was to be our king. I mean, God tells us over and over and over again, he, he's saying, hey, I'm going to be your king. I want you guys to follow me. I will protect you. I will lead you into battle. I will take care of you guys. You guys just follow me. And so when he hears this, he's like, okay, this is not good. This is not a good request. And so what he does, which many of us, just a reminder for those of us um, who have given our lives to Jesus, I mean, when we are faced with something that we know is wrong, one of the things that we should naturally do first is we should go to God, exactly what Samuel does. He says, so he prayed to the Lord. All right, good example for us. And, but the Lord told him, he says, no, 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 Samuel, go ahead and listen to the people and everything that they say to you. In which case, I bet when Samuel hears this, he's like, wait, what? Oh, you're saying to listen to him? I thought, I thought you were to be our king, and they're trying to replace you with some other dude, all right, and you're, you know, you, you want me to, I'm supposed to do, you know, what they say, and it's probably a little confusing, and God continues. He says, because they have not rejected you. Don't feel bad, Samuel. They've rejected me as their king. 
He says, they're doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since I, the day that I brought them out of Egypt until this day, they've been, they're abandoning me and they're worshiping other gods. You know how they've been doing that? All right, they've been doing that ever since the beginning. And he says, they are not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. This is what I want you to do. I want you to listen to them. I want you to give them exactly what they asked for, even though it's not the best thing for them, but solemnly warn them. And that's exactly what Samuel does. Samuel goes to him and he says, hey, here's the deal. All right, I'm going to give you a king because that's what you're asking for, but I'm just giving you this quick warning. All right, there's some things that are going to happen that comes along with the king just from, you know, this is just how it is. He's saying the king's going to take your kids. King's going to take your sons. They're going to put them into his army. All right, the king's going to take your daughters. They're going to turn them into his servants. He's going to force you guys to produce weapons and food and crops and servants. And a lot of that stuff, almost all that stuff is just going to be for him. Because that's what a king does. He says, on top of that, they're going to tax you. In which case, I would have been like, whoa, 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 Samuel, back up. Okay, taxes? I don't know, sure. Like, these people, they had never paid taxes before. Can you imagine that? Sounds like a pretty good gig they had going on. Okay? I hate taxes. Anyway, so he's saying, he's saying he's gonna, they're going to tax you. He's going to tax you on your land, property taxes, all right, that's coming your way. He's saying they're going to tax you on your food. He's going to tax you on your livestock. He's going to tax you on your income. He's going to tax you on your money. He's going to tax you any other way, possible way that he could possibly tax you. He's going to do that. And Samuel is basically saying, he's like, here's the deal. All right, this is a good deal for you. Are you sure you want a king? He says, someday, if I give you a king, someday you will regret your decision. And when that day comes, he says, you will cry out because of the king that you've chosen for yourselves, all right? This is your decision, not mine. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. So God's not going to listen to that because he's already given you this warning. He already told you this isn't best. You've already rejected him. And the people, you would think at this point that they'd be like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're saying God's not going to listen to us and you're saying God's saying this is a bad idea and you're saying he's going to tax us, all right? I don't know. Like maybe we should take a few days and like think about this, but they don't do that. It says the people refused to listen to Samuel and they said, no, 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 no. We must have a king over us. We have to have one. All right, we really need one. It says, then we will be like all the other nations, and our king will judge us, and our king will go before us, and our king will fight our battles. All right, so here he's saying, it's, it's, it's interesting, because these people, like God wanted these people to be different. God wanted these people to be different than everybody else, but these people, they wanted to be like everybody else. You see the difference here? And so Samuel does exactly what they asked for. Samuel appoints them a king, and he appoints this guy named Saul. In fact, Saul, uh, he's a pretty good guy at first. Uh, Saul, the Bible describes Saul as an impressive young man. All right, that's good, okay? It says, there was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. So here's this guy right, who's a super tall guy, he's young, he's strong, uh, he, he looks, he's a good looking guy, and uh, when Samuel picks Saul as king, everybody agrees in the, in the country, everybody's like, okay, well yeah, that guy looks like a king, okay, like this guy, like that, okay, nice picking Samuel, because that guy is going to be our king, Saul, all right, this is going to go well for us, and Saul starts off pretty well, ironically, I mean, he's brave, guy's got courage, uh, he defeats Israel's enemies. He leads as he should lead, and he follows God. But it doesn't last long. And eventually, he rebels against God. You know how he rebels? He rebels simply by disobeying him, 
I mean, God tells him to do. And it's not like he just flat out disobeys. What, what Saul does is how he rebels against God is God will tell him something to do. And then uh, Saul will say, okay, I'll kind of do that. You know, we do that sometimes, right? Where it's like, uh, yeah, I'll do that, but I'm going to do it my way, not your way. But it's then that matters. And so I'm going to, you know, this is how, this is how I'm going to do it. And so uh, he rebels against God, and eventually God rejects Saul as king. And all this sets the stage for the story of David, Israel's second king, but arguably Israel's greatest king. And Samuel, he pours into Saul. I mean, Samuel is like a mentor to Saul. I mean, Samuel, he sees Saul, and he's like, okay, yeah, this guy is like kingly, all right? And, and again, Saul starts off really well, and Samuel's pouring in. He's like, he's helping Saul. He's trying to focus Saul on, hey, man, you need to focus on God, all right? Not on all this stuff. You need to focus on leading. You need to focus on this and this and this and all this stuff. And, and, and so when Saul eventually rebels against God and doesn't obey God like God tells him to, and when God ends up rejecting Saul, all right, as you can imagine, Samuel, he, he mourns for Saul. I mean, this bothers him. I mean, Samuel thought he was the guy to lead. Samuel looks at Saul and he's like, man, you had so much potential. It's completely wasted. I mean, have you ever looked at anybody? Like, or <laughs> looked at anybody? Yeah, I guess that works. Um, have you ever, like, seen anybody, looked at, whatever, um, from high school that uh, maybe you ran into somebody from high school and um, they've just, like, completely messed up their life? Has that ever happened? Right? Or maybe you even see something on Facebook or I don't know, wherever. And you just look at him and you're just like, dude, what happened? Like you, you had so much potential. Like what's going on here? I mean, you don't tell them to their face that, you know, like you don't say that, right? But, uh, but you think it, you know, you're like, man, what's, what's going on? Like, like, man, you had just so much potential wasted. It's just sad. That's how, that's how Samuel feels about King Saul. See, Saul had become a disappointment, and Saul, to be honest, even more than that, Saul had become dangerous, and things aren't going as well as everybody had hoped. And so the Bible tells us that God regretted making Saul king, and the Bible tells us that Samuel mourned him. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says, the Lord said to Samuel, he says, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as the king over Israel? He's like, how long are you going to mourn? Can I just point out one thing? It is okay to mourn, all right? Like, it's not a bad thing. It is okay to mourn, but we shouldn't stay stuck in a state of mourning. Does that make sense? It's okay to mourn. Like, every single one of us, we live in a fallen world, and our world is messed up, jacked up, just like, just like we are, okay? And, uh, and so bad things happen in our life, and bad things happen in the lives of the people that we care about and the people that we love, all right? And so it's okay for us to mourn, but we shouldn't stay stuck in a state of mourning. I mean, see, here's Samuel. He got, he's mourning over a broken past, but God sees the bright future. Right? Here's Samuel. He's grieving over Saul, but God is preparing a David. Here's Samuel. He sees disappointment of the past, but God sees the promise of the future. And so here's the deal. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, which, by the way, can I just point out, isn't everybody in this room? Okay, just because you're here, just because you go to church, just because you took communion today or whatever, all right, that doesn't mean that you have... That doesn't mean you're a Christian, all right? Not a true Christian, at least. That doesn't mean you have given your life over to Jesus. The way that we do that, okay, is we gotta start a relationship with him. And the way we do that is we have to invite him to be a part of our life. It's really a decision that we make. 
And so if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I don't know if I've done that before, but like I believe in God, and so I'm all about God, and like I think I'm good with God. All right, well, there's a good chance that you're not. If you haven't made the decision to give your life over to him, I think the better word is you got to surrender your life to him, which is, a decision, which is a decision that you have to make and is something between you and God, not between you and anybody else around you. And so if you haven't made that decision, let me just tell you, all right, you should do that like today because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. God doesn't owe you tomorrow. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. It's super easy to do. You just go to God, you and God, just you and him, and you're just like, hey, God, I want you to be a part of my life, or I want to surrender my life to you. I'm tired of doing life my way, all right? I want you in my life. And the Bible tells us that God, he moves in. Like, he, like, like God's spirit, he, like, moves inside of us, like, like, comes in and starts working on us. And those of us who are Christians in here, like, we could tell you, first and foremost, we could say, you know, it's not always an easy thing. Like, he starts chipping away at us, and it's not always pleasant. It's not always fun, but it's good. And so if you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that today. Now, those of us that have done that at some point in our life, all right, and we have a real relationship with God, here's the deal. Right? Even on our worst day, which exists, right, like our worst day until now or our worst day in our life, even on our worst day, the best is not behind us. The best is ahead. We have to remember that sometimes. And so here's God who comes to Samuel, this man who is mourning over his friend, over his mentee, let's call him, Saul, King Saul. And God says, hey, Samuel, it's time to move on. He says, I've rejected him. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to fill your horn with oil, and I want you to go. He says, I'm sending you to Jesse, all right, a no-name um, of Bethlehem, a no-name town, all right, because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. And it's interesting to me that God doesn't just go to Samuel and say, hey, uh, there's this dude named David. He's actually one of Jesse's sons. He's out in the field right now. I want you guys to go, and I want you to go anoint him as king. He doesn't do that. He doesn't give the name of David at all. He just says, hey, there's this one guy that you don't know, and he's got some sons that you don't know, and one of his sons is going to be the next king. And so God um, had already told Samuel that he was going to pick out a new king, that he had already picked a king. In fact, what we see chapters earlier is that God, when he rejects Saul as king, he goes to Samuel, he tells him, he's like, hey, uh, Saul, he's not going to be the guy. And, uh, and he says that I've already picked out a man after God's own heart or a man after my own heart. The only thing is that Samuel didn't know who that was yet. God hadn't told him. And even now, God doesn't tell him exactly who it is. And so when Samuel hears this, he's, uh, he's a little worried. This is what he says. He says, uh, okay, uh, God, how can I go? Saul's going to hear about it, and then he's going to kill me. All right? Here's Samuel. He's like, I know, like, I love Saul, King Saul, and, you know, it's just so much potential. There's so much wasted. I don't know why he's choosing the things that he's choosing to do. But he's like, hey, and here you are. Um, you want me to go pick out a rival king? You want me to go anoint a rival king? Like, that's dangerous. Like, that doesn't sound pretty safe for me. If Saul hears that, even though I'm his mentor, even though he, he somewhat respected me, he's going to kill me to save himself. See, Saul had become dangerous at this point. Saul, what we read about in a couple chapters before, is Saul had already uh, tried to kill his own son for not obeying him, for not doing the things that he already called him to do. And so Saul is, is dangerous. He's all about himself at this point. And, and here's God asking Samuel to do something that's very confusing and to do something that's very difficult. It's, it's hard. And so it just got me thinking this week. I'm like, what do you do 
when God, when God asks you to do something hard? You ever think about that? What do you do when God asks you to do something that's difficult, something that's just not easy, to forgive that person, let's say, which he calls you to do, all right? Maybe that person who did something to you so long ago that you just haven't let go of yet. Or maybe it's to stand up and do the right thing at work. Or maybe it's to talk to that guy about Jesus. Right? Like, what do you do when God calls you to do something hard? By the way, Samuel, what, he called, what God called Samuel to do was to go anoint a new king, which was dangerous and risky and not something that Samuel was super looking forward to, to do. You know what he tells us to do? Like, he's not sending us to go anoint kings, all right? At least he's never done that for me. But if he does, I'll probably do it because that would be sweet. I anointed that guy's, you know, that type of thing. But he has never asked me to do that, and I don't expect him. He will, ever will. But you know what he tells us to do? Like, our main thing, I think God tells us a bunch of things to do. You know what the main thing he tells us as Christians to do? Is to go tell other people about what Jesus did, to, did for us. You know that's our job, right? I feel like we talk about that a lot. There's probably nobody in this room that are Jesus followers that feel confident or that feel like just, well, let's say, that feel confident that, you, that we do a really good job with that, right? I mean, I don't. I mean, here's our main job. Like, God gives us a bunch of jobs, but let's focus on, like, the main one, right? Theologians, they call it the Great Commission. It's the last thing that Jesus tells us to do before he went up to heaven. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you guys, he gathers his little group of followers, and he says, I want you guys to go and tell others. I want you to go and make, and our problem is we don't even do the first command. We don't even go. It's our main job. See, I feel like there's a bunch of churches out there that, um, I don't know, they, they don't feel like they're a partner with their people in helping others to find Jesus. In fact, I think there's a lot of churches out there, and maybe you came from one, I don't know, that are, that, like, those, there's a lot of churches out there that are like a barrier to helping people find Jesus. It's like a little social club that you go to every Sunday morning, you know, and uh, a lot of you, and I have too, maybe you've gone to churches in your past where it's like, yeah, okay, you know, you know where to sit, uh, you know when to stand, you know when to sit down, you know, you know, where to, where to, the best parking spot to get out the fastest, you know, all this stuff about your church, and, uh, and it's not something that's super inviting to anybody who's like seeking or anybody who's trying to figure out their relationship with God or anybody who has questions or anybody who's coming for the first time, all right? It's just not a very easy easy place to invite friends. That is not how we want to be here at Grace. Here at Grace, we want to be welcome to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Right here, we want to partner with you as a church, as a church family, to come along and help us to individually go out and to reach the people in our community and the people that we care about. That's what our job is. That's why we do a lot of the things that we do. I mean, that's why we have coffee. We don't have coffee for us, right, and keep you awake, although that helps, okay, because guy up here talking, you need it, you know. Um, you know, that's why we, that's why we uh, have cushioned seats, you know, that over wooden pews. That's why we do a lot of the things that we do is because we want to make it easy for people who have not given their life over to Jesus to come here to learn about Jesus, to at least be faced with the decision to give their life to Jesus or not. We want to partner with you. That's why we're doing this fall Sunday thing, Okay. Just to, I mean, nothing crazy, but just to give us, just to give us a tool to use to invite our family and friends to church. We should be talking to our family and friends about Jesus. We don't feel confident in that. We should at least be inviting them to church with us, where at least they'll hear it. It's our job. And God tells us, each and every one of us, 
to do that. And so here's Samuel. His job is to go and anoint a king. Okay, that's his job. And it's interesting that uh, apparently, I mean, this is what Samuel does, apparently it's okay to push back a little bit. Or apparently it's okay to say, okay, God, all right, I know this is what you, what you want me to do. I'm not pushing back on that, but how do you want me to do it? All right, could you give me a few more details on how this is going to work in my life or, or what exactly you want me to do because this seems a little dangerous to me. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there, just reminding you, Paul, Saul, Saul could kill me if he finds out. So, so is this what you want me to do or not? And so what we're going to find out is God, he actually tells him how to do it. He says, all right, go. Um, you know, you can, you can do a sacrifice there. That will be a, your excuse for going to Bethlehem. And um, check this out. Samuel did what the Lord directed, and he went. You know what the difference between us and Samuel most of the time is? Usually when God tells us to do something, which we all, God tells us to do a lot of things, right? Usually we give God a bunch of excuses as to why we don't have to do the thing that he called us to do, you know? Samuel, he doesn't do that. He asks how. He's like, can you give me a little clarification? But then Samuel did it. Usually that's the part we forget, right? He says, so Samuel did what the Lord directed, And he went to Bethlehem. When the elders of that town met him, they trembled. And they asked, okay, whoa, 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 Samuel, prophet of God. All right, why are you here? They said, do you come in peace? Actually, I was reading this, man, or I was reading this this week. I had to read that a few times. I'm like, why why, why are they, like, scared of him? Like, this is an old dude. No offense to old people, old dudes, okay. I'm just saying, but, like, you know, this is a bunch of men. Like, why are they worried that Samuel's going to do here? And uh, they're just like, hey, man, we're just trying to live our lives. Like, we don't want any trouble. Please don't, like, do anything to us. And, and I was thinking about that. And then I was like, what, what, like why? What, what's the big deal here? And then I remember that just a couple chapters earlier, actually it was last chapter. It was at the end of last chapter. Um, last chapter, it closed out with Samuel cutting up an enemy king to pieces, even though he's old. Like, can you picture that? He's just like, you know, doing all the things like ninja. I mean, he was like the Chuck Norris of his time. He had to have been. I mean, I don't know. He's old, but he's like still, he's administering justice, let's call it that, that way. And so their anxiousness, because Samuel, he's like, he's like, man, um, he's like, yeah, I come in peace. Like, I'm, I'm just here to offer a sacrifice. And when they hear that, all right, their anxiousness, it turns to anticipation. And Samuel's like, I'm basically a sacrifice. When they would do this, the whole town would get together and be like this huge old party thing. And so they'd have meat, which would be awesome. And they were all like hanging out together and they were worshiping God. It was like a big old thing. And so they're like, okay, so he's not coming to like cut us into pieces, which is good. All right, Samuel, all right, please. They're like, this old prophet, he's coming to party with us. All right, so it completely shifts. And so Samuel goes and he invites Jesse and his sons just the exact way that God uh, told him to. And so when they arrived, meaning Jesse and his sons, it says Samuel saw Eliab, and he said, whoa, certainly that's the Lord's anointed one is here before him. So here's this guy. It's the the first son. His name's Eliab. First son of Jesse. He's the oldest guy. Um, He's like the all-American. I mean, you could picture this in your minds, right? Right? You guys still with me? Okay. All right. This side is. That side's not. I don't know what's going on. Um, He's like the all-American. All right, he's the guy in the yearbook he was most likely to succeed. All right, that guy. This was the smartest son, the strongest son, the best-looking son. You know what son you have that is that, I'm assuming. Um, so Samuel, uh, he looks at his resume, and, uh, and he's impressed. I mean, he's like, 
man, okay, this guy's got experience. This guy, he looks the part. He's tall. Right? And he says out loud, he's like, man, okay, you're it. No more. Hey, Jesse, you don't have to bring any more sons. Okay, this is the one. Um, we're good here. Where is that oil? I mean, he's like getting ready to like anoint this dude as the future king. But God stops him. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, he's like, whoa, Samuel, 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 Samuel. He says, do not look at his appearance or his stature, right? Don't look at his, at his, how tall he is or how strong he is or how good looking he is. He says, because I've rejected him. He's like, I want you to remember this. Humans, they do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. It's almost like God saying, Samuel, have you learned anything <laughs> About the past couple years. All right, remember how this was the exact same thing that you said about Saul? Remember that guy? But he was a bad move. Remember how that all went? Didn't go over so well. See, I think we all tend to do the exact thing that Samuel does here. We all tend to look at outward appearance. Now, I think every single one of us in this room, we would all agree, like if someone interviewed us and they were like, what do you feel about this? We'd all be like, yeah, um, it's, all, it's what's on the inside that counts. Like we'd all say that. Or like, oh, yeah, outside appearance doesn't matter. I don't judge by that. You know, like, like that type of thing. You're like, it's all about the inside. It's not about what you look like. And we've all heard the phrase, like, don't judge a book by its cover. However, I think we would all say that, but I know or but I think that you guys are all liars, <laughs> okay? Like, we say that, but we just don't do that. And, and same thing with myself. Like, sure, we say it because it sounds good, and we, I think a lot of us, maybe even all of us, we even believe it but we don't do it. <laughs> and just to prove it to you, that's why you spent a bunch of time getting ready for church this morning. Yourself, right? Let's just focus on ourselves for a second. That's why you took a shower. That's why you put on clean clothes, brush your teeth and shoes and makeup. And I've learned a lot about makeup. I mean, ladies, when I got married, I learned about the process. I, I don't even feel like I'm an expert in the process. I'm not, for sure. All right, but I learned that the process is a lot bigger than I ever imagined. You know, you got, this is with the eyes. There's like stuff on top of the eyes. There's like eyelash stuff that like makes them longer. I don't know what that is. There's like liner. I don't even know what that is. I've just heard Kate say it. And so, you know, I just learned, she had like this crimp, I don't, it's like a crimping tool or that's what, you know, like squishes them. I don't know what that does. Maybe you ladies know what I'm talking about. All you guys are like, what is he blabbering about. I don't even know what I'm talking about up here. But like maybe you did that this morning, okay? You put on all the makeup and all the stuff and, and you smell good and you plucked whatever needed plucked and you covered whatever needed covered, you know? <laughs> but my guess is that probably every single one of us in here, we spent more time working on the way that we looked like on the outside for church rather than preparing our hearts from the inside for church, right? And I'm not saying looking good is bad, obviously, you know? <laughs> now I'm thankful you put on deodorant today, and so is the person next to you. I used to work with middle school's kids, and uh, I understand how it is to be hanging out with people who don't take that seriously. Um, it's just how it is. But uh, what I'm questioning is, is what's truly more important to you? Like, that's the question. Like, for the majority of us in this room, probably, maybe even, it might even be safe to say all of us in this room, we value our outward appearance rather than what's going on on the inside, and that's messed up. I mean, do you spend more time each week at the gym or reading your Bible? Do you spend more money, like, in a month on hair products or gym membership, or, or do you spend more money on giving it away? 
Like, do you care more about your Facebook or your Instagram or your TikTok where you post videos about yourself and stuff? You put the filters on, right, to make you look better. Like, that's what we do. And then we do all that. Do you spend more time on that than helping the people around you find Jesus? Like, you see what we do here? We spend more time on ourselves rather than doing the things that God has called us to do. And if we're not careful what we look like, it will kind of creep into our life and it will grow and grow and grow in priority in our life. And we will put that before God. And none of us in this room will ever admit it. None of us in this room would ever say, yeah, that's what I believe. But we do it in practice, which means deep down, that's who we are. And we'll end up worshiping our appearance. In reality, we end up worshiping us. And I'll tell you, I I promise you, it will let you down. Like, think about it. Time and gravity, not our friends, right? It's not. And I know some of you guys are in college and stuff, and that's cool. And, you know, you're like, I could do anything. I can eat anything. Nothing bothers me. Well, ask anybody over 35. You'll figure it out. Like, like your days are numbered. And so everybody will laugh in the end. Um, But here's what God's saying. God's saying it's the heart that matters to me. That's what he's saying. Right? And that should freak you out a little bit. That should freak you out. Because for me, personally, I can fake the outside. No problem. All right, I can fake the outside. I can act like my life is good. I can act like everything in my life is rosy. I can do that. That is easy for me. What I can't do is I can't fake the heart. And our hearts are messed up. Like, think about it for you personally. Like, just think about this. What if everything that you thought was broadcast on TV for everybody to see? You would have no friends. Because <laughs> I know about the things that you think about your friends. You know, like... Like, you would offend everybody. Everybody would hate you because of that, right? Like, it's just, it would just be ugly. Like, you wouldn't want anybody seeing that, but that's what God watches. It's like if our heart matters to God so much, how are you doing with that? Are you bitter? Are you unforgiving? Are you always looking out for your best interests? Are you angry? See, it's the heart that matters. I think one of the best places that we can fully understand this or fully realize this is like at a funeral of all the places. You know, at a funeral, we're not talking about, you know, the way some, about the way someone looks. We're talking about the things that matter, right? This past week on last Wednesday, um, I was doing Vera Ash's funeral. A lot of you guys know her. We're going to miss her. She used to sit like right there every week. And, um, and so I was doing her a funeral and it's just interesting. Like, like nobody, when people would get up and talk about, about Vera, nobody is like talking about her hair, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody's talking about her clothes, right, that she wore. They're talking about her heart. Everybody talked about the way that she cared for people, the way that she helped others. She wasn't perfect. We all get that. But the way she was a grandmother and the way she was a mom. See, I've done funerals where, like, where people have nothing good to say about the people who die. It's just so sad. They're all just like... Well, he was, uh, he was something, you know, like that. And you're like, well, that's not good. (laughs) All right? That type of thing. See, the heart is what's important. And that's what God sees. And God reminds Samuel of this. And so Jesse calls another son. And so Jesse called Abinadab, which is a sweet name, by the way, Abinadab. And he presented him to Samuel. And Samuel's like, "Uh, so Jesse, um, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And Jesse's like, huh, okay, all right, let me try another one. He calls in Shama, but uh, Samuel says, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And Jesse's like, okay, all right, let's get some more. And so after Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, he says, the Lord, 
Um, and, and by this point, things are getting awkward, okay, like really awkward. And he's like, that's all your kids? And he's like, yeah. He says, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. And so Samuel's just like, okay, what the heck is going on? Like Samuel's just like, like God told me to come, and he told me that one of these guys, one of these sons, would gonna be, was going to be king. But he isn't picking any of the sons. Like he's just like, like what is happening here? And so he asks maybe the most obvious, logical question, but also the most awkward question that he could ask. He's just like, so I know I already asked this, but uh, are these all your sons? <laughs> You know, like, are you forgetting one of your kids? He's got another kid. And then Jesse thinks for a moment, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, there is still the youngest, he answered. Actually, this word youngest, I love it. In the Hebrew, is this word hakaton. Can you say that real quick? Hakaton. Yeah, it's a sweet word. All right, you know what it means? It means insignificant runt. All right, <laughs> that's what he calls him. He's like, well, yeah, I got the runt out back. You want that guy? I, I, I didn't even invite him in. You should see him, like that type of thing. All right, this is his dad. Like, he doesn't even name him. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, oh, David, I forgot. Da-. No, he's just like, oh, the, uh, the runt is still out there. And Samuel, you know what he's thinking right now? He's just like, bro, you had one job, one job. You had to get all your sons here. You couldn't even do that. Like, come on. And Samuel says, he says, he says all right, send for him. All right, Jesse, because we won't sit down to eat until he gets here. He's like, all right, food's going to get cold. All right, let's go. You got to get him here. What are you doing? And so think about it. This is the biggest day for this town. It's the biggest day for the family in the history of their family. I mean, one of their sons is going to be crowned king of Israel. And David is completely forgotten and completely overlooked. Have you ever forgotten a kid? Oh, yeah, apparently you have, okay? I forgot a kid once. Um, I got three kids, and, uh, are, you know, you always forget, like, the middle kid, right? And I know some of you guys are middle kids, and you're just like, eh, you know, it's just, you know how it is more than anybody because you're the one who complains about it, okay? So anyway, so um, what, this past summer, we, uh, we were at Hedges at the park. We piled the kids in the van, we went home. And um, when we got home, um, Kate, they're all in, like, you know, car seats because government, you know, I, you're in car seat till you're 15 now, okay? And so, um, and so they, Kate goes, she unbuckles everybody, and, uh, or at least my youngest two. She unbuckles them, and then we all go inside, and, you know, it's like afternoon or something. We all go inside, and, um, and you know, we spend the evening or doing whatever we're doing. Well, it gets, it's like late, and it, we're getting ready to put the kids to bed, and uh, we can't find our middle kid, Wes. And so we're like, where's Wes? Where's Wes? We can't find him. We're calling him. We're like, dude, you better get down here. You know, like that type of thing. We're like, and so we start looking for him, and he's like nowhere to be found. And I'm asking my, my oldest kid. He's eight, my eight-year-old. I'm like, hey, have you seen Wes, who's five? And, uh, and he's like, no, nah, I haven't seen him since the park. And we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> you ever had that feeling? We're like, I don't know what happens now, you know? <laughs> wild. <laughs> just, just give him to the wild. I don't know. And then... I'm like, okay, and then we're asking my three-year-old daughter, Lizzie, I'm like, you know, have you seen Wes? And she's like, ah, he was at the park. You know, I'm like, okay, all right, it's been hours. And so we're like looking around, we're like, and I'm asking Kate, I'm like, do we leave him at the park? You know, that's not good. And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure he's here. And so we're like looking around, we can't find him. And we eventually go out to the car, and we find him. He is still strapped into his seat in the car. 
And apparently after Kate had unbuckled him, he for some reason buckled it back and couldn't get it undone. And we didn't hear his cries for help. And so um, he was actually crying. He, he was like, I thought I was going to spend the whole night out here, you know. <laughs> and it was hot out, but we did have one door open, so he's alive, okay. Because <laughs> he was supposed to close the door when he came out. So um, but it's one of those things. You ever forgotten a kid? It's one of those times where you're just like, man, I think I'm like, we're like really bad parents. And then I remember that my parents, they forgot me in the middle of New York City in a subway station when I was a kid. And so I'm like, but well, I'm not that bad of a parent. <laughs> They got me beat. And maybe you haven't done that. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that, like, you know, we've all done this, where you have your first kid, you know, your wife mostly, you know, takes all the pictures, 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 mom, she's all about it. And then, uh, and then you have your third kid. You don't realize this, or you have your last kid. You don't realize this until it's, like, graduation party thing. And for the first kid, you have, like, this wall of fame. It's just like, man, all their achievements and stuff. And the last kid, it's like, you're trying to put it all together. You're like, did we take any pictures of that kid? You know, like that. <laughs> Like, we all do this to a certain amount. You know, last kid, there's just nothing. Like, yeah. See, David doesn't even get the invite. It's almost like, think about it this way, all right? Jesse, David's dad, had predetermined the limit of what David could do. What he did. By the way, and I don't know if you need, if there's anybody out there that needs to hear this, but just, if you do, I just want to say this. You can be rejected by your heavenly father and chosen by your, or sorry, let me redo that. You can be, you can, yeah, that's not good. You can be rejected by your earthly father, all right, and chosen by your heavenly father at the same time. Your earthly father doesn't assign your worth. Your heavenly father does. And so God chooses lowly David to be king. Any, anybody out there, anybody, anybody like valedictorian of their class? I didn't think from our church that we would have anybody. <laughs> I questioned it. Um, let me go step down. Anybody play varsity? <laughs> you know? Or win some sort of award um, ever in their life? Um, what's interesting is that uh, I have good news. Like maybe you got a college scholarship. Maybe you played sports in college. Maybe that was your thing. Um, I got good news for you. Uh, God can use you too. Okay? Like it's not about what we do. You're just not his first choice, apparently. See, as you look at the Bible, God always seems to choose the JV, the JV team to go win it all. It's just, I don't know, it's just what he does. I mean, think about Noah, right? Like Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a thief. He was a liar. All right, Joseph was a convict. You know, Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jonah was a racist. Jeremiah was depressed all the time. He got married. She was a teenager. And every single one of Jesus' disciples that he chose, all right, were all rejected by all the religious people as not being smart enough. And so this is what God does, which is, by the way, very, very, very good news for us. And so Jesse sends for the runt David, and he gets there, and Samuel says he had beautiful eyes. And a healthy, handsome appearance. And then the Lord said, anoint him, for he's the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the presence of his, of his brothers and his dad, Jesse. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. See, the reason why David was anointed king was not because um, of his resume. It wasn't because of his experience. It wasn't because of his strength or his status. He became be king because he was a man after God's own heart. And God chose him. 
So we all tend to look at the external things to give us a sense of security and purpose. We all tend to look towards things like our money and our job and even things like our sense of humor, you know, to kind of, or looks to kind of lead us or to carry us through life. Those are not good props. They will just disappoint you. And they'll end up being dangerous for us. See, David was the unlikely choice. He was a runt. He was a shepherd boy. He was extremely ordinary. At this point, he's probably around 14 or so years old, I would guess. But he's chosen as king, anointed as the future king. And you know what? After Samuel anoints David as king, you know what David goes to doing? He goes back to the field. It's not an instant thing, actually. We're going to find out. It takes many years for him to get to that point. And for the next few weeks, what we're going to watch is the deterioration of Saul and the rise of David. And we're going to see the contrast, because the contrast will be clear between them, that uh, we're going to watch a man who becomes increasingly, increasingly obsessed with himself, and we're going to watch a man who goes increasingly after God's own heart. And so make sure you're back here for the next, really, for the next seven weeks as we continue this, because there's a lot of stuff that happens. It's complicated. It's not pretty. But God describes him as a man after God's own heart, as a heart that we, we want to have. Let's all pray. Uh, dear God, we thank you um, for this story. And even more than that, God, we thank you that you use the weak. <laughs> like, that's like your, that's like your thing. Like, you use the weak to do crazy big things. And I think you do that, God, because it shows that it's not our power, it's your power. And God, we thank you for everything that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for this story. We thank you um, for giving us a job to do. God, we ask that you would help us to work on our hearts and to work on the inside of us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to do the job that you've called us to do. Simply obey. Lord, we thank you for loving us. You don't have to, you don't owe it to us. We didn't earn it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, make sure you're back here next week. Uh, hopefully you guys all have a great week. See ya.